So Nehemiah 9, 38 is this. Because of all this, and I'll explain what all this is. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And Nehemiah, I'm going to put this on your keyboard, guys. Um, Nehemiah, for those that don't know, it's a great book in the Old Testament. I'd encourage you to go and have a little read of it. Um, and it, I chose Nehemiah because, I mean, it's a special, significant book in the Old Testament, but today is a special Sunday for us as well. When you covenant, when you make promises, which as Carla said, we'll do time and again, it's special. We're not doing that every week, are we? It's a kind of uh, once-in-a-year thing, mainly, for the big covenant thing. But we've made promises, and I want to say this morning, that if you've made promises with us, you've not just done a case of, oh, well, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. I've said I'll give it a go, so I'll, I'll just do my best. But rather, the things that we've said with a God like ours, as we'll see in Nehemiah, with a God like we have, all of those promises that we've made are actually possible. They wouldn't be possible if it was just left to us, but the fact that we have a God like we do means that when we walk the wrong way, we can be restored. When we're low or we're down, we can be lifted up. Um, And so Nehemiah... 9.38 says, because of all these things, we make a firm covenant in writing. A covenant is a formal agreement, if you like. People kind of talk about it as promises. But it's an act of worship as well, actually. uh, If you read through scripture, God covenants with people and they worship him. It all kind of is tied up in the same thing. And it's got obligations written into it. Whatever, if you've covenanted with us this morning, you'd have seen the obligations. I, I commit to pray for people. How do we fulfill that commitment? By praying for people. How do we commit to love one another? By loving people. There's an obligation on it and we're breaking the covenant if we're not doing those things. We're breaking a promise, not just between each other, but between God. And when we're breaking promises before God, that's when it's kind of getting a bit more serious, isn't it? The backstory of Nehemiah is this, for those that don't know, uh, he's he's a bloke nice fella, who takes some Israelites out of captivity in Persia to Jerusalem, which is kind of, we all know what Jerusalem is, kind of Israel's capital. Um, and their task, they, he kind of arrives at Jerusalem and is just distraught because the walls, which are a significant kind of thing in a city, um, speak of how secure the city is, how strong the city is, are just in ruin. So he turns up after his little journey and the city is just distraught. There is nothing going on there. So he sets out with the people to rebuild the wall in the city. And that's really what the whole book of Nehemiah is about, building. So if you're a builder, this should be your favorite book in the Bible. If you're DIY, it should be your favorite book in the Bible. If you're like me, you like other books. And it's all about building and then there's some stuff. There's some guys, there's a guy called Sanballat who I think is a bit of a snake of a man. Um, There's a a guy called uh, Tobiah and there's a guy called Geshem the Arab. And these three blokes and their hordes are just trying to like disrupt, distract, stop the rebuilding. They see God's people doing something and want to get in the way. And you know, we, we all probably have some ballots in our life. We probably all have these people in our life that just distract us. They say, oh, there's something else that you should be getting on with instead of going to church this Sunday. I was talking to Grace about this. This morning we, we, we uh, drove over and there were actual men. You know when you have roadworks? There was actual men at the roadworks. Isn't that amazing? I mean, normally you don't see anybody doing anything. And I just thought, on a Sunday now, people do all sorts of things. It used to be that Sunday was almost a set-apart day where nothing happened. 
But everything happens on Sundays now. It's almost seen by the world as like a bonus day that you can just do whatever you like with. They even do roadworks now, and there were actual working men doing stuff. I think they were drinking tea and coffee, but they were there. And actually, we can have so many things, can't we, that just distract us and take us away from actually focusing on mission and doing God's work. And sometimes I think that's kind of like what was going on in Nehemiah with Sanballat, and they were just trying to distract and get in the way. Anyway, the war gets completed. They don't succeed. That's Nehemiah chapter 6. And chapter 7 is one of everybody's favorite things in the Bible. You know, when people say, oh, the Bible is fantastic. Except when you get to numbers. Well, uh, Nehemiah 7 is like numbers. It's a list of names, which is really thrilling. But it's a list of names of all the people that were there, which is important. And then the beginning of chapter 8, the people all gather together. And Ezra, who's the priest, and he's actually the author of Nehemiah, just to confuse you, um, starts the beginning of a worship set that lasts for 24 days, guys. Isn't that exciting? Maybe this time next year? 24 days of worship, of praise. And you know what the tip, you know what the very top of this worship is? It's a covenant. At the end of their 24 days, they covenant together as an act of worship. So they've done all their singing, they've had the tambourines out, they've probably had people dancing, and they've found the book of law, they've had preaching, proclamation, the reading of the word. And at the end of that, the big finale is the rededication of the people as they covenant together. And Ezra's response, he he does a prayer in chapter 9 if you've got a Bible. And in verse 5, there's some people, the Levites, and they say this to Ezra. They say, you need to stand up. You need to bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. You need to say, blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And so what I want to do is, Ezra obviously responds to that call from the Levites. And what I want to do is, in Nehemiah 9, just quickly, he has this amazing prayer, actually, if you read it. It's a phenomenal prayer that he prays, just off the cuff. He doesn't have notes, I don't think. And he just goes through thing after thing after thing about God and who he is. And that leads up to the covenant. And so I just thought it'd be helpful for us to think about, as we've covenanted already this morning, to think about, well, why? What is what we've done based on? Why can we be sure that what we've done actually means something? Why is it serious when we make promises to God? And why does it matter? And uh, this is how Ezra starts it out for us in verse 6. He says, You have made the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. You know, sometimes we forget this, and I'm really pleased that Carl said what he did about this is a holy moment. Because we've covenanted together, we've made promises this morning, not just like, oh, I promise to turn up on time, or I promise that we'll win football, which is what I said last week. Things that we inevitably break. We have covenanted this morning with the creator of the universe. We've made promises before the one who made everything. Before the one that made us. Before the one that put all the fish in the sea, all the animals on the land, all the heavens, all of their host. And he's the one that's in an ongoing capacity preserving it. I just want you to imagine actually, we think, oh, you know, the environmentalist and Greenpeace and all that are going on about global warming and stuff. Which, fine, we should look after our planet, but I do like petrol and cars and Formula One as well. But imagine what it'd be like if God had withdrawn his hand from the earth. How much worse would our planet be if God wasn't preserving it, if God wasn't helping, if God wasn't caring for all that he had created? 
So we don't make our promises lightly because we've made the promise that not only the God who made everything, but the God who's sustaining us day by day, the God who gives us the breath that we're drawing today, the one who's preserving your life. That's who we've covenanted before. And it's worth a thought, isn't it, that if the creator of the universe and the one who preserves us, that's who we've covenanted with. We're not always, from our point of view, going to get it right, are we? He won't get it wrong, but we will. We will mess up. We will fail on our spiritual journey. We will sin. We will fall short of the standard that we've set this morning. Or sometimes when we pray, we don't always have our prayer answered in the way that we would want it to be. Or maybe we feel small and insignificant this morning and life's kind of crowding in on us. When we remember God's creator and preserving everything, isn't our God big enough and strong enough and more powerful to be able to handle these things that go in on our life? If we go, well, I've just had my A-level exams and oh, it was terrible. Is your God big enough to handle your A-level results or not? Is your God big enough to look after your career or not? Is your God big enough to know uh, what's going on in your heart, to know your emotions and your feelings? Of course he is. And sometimes we just lose that perspective a little bit. So I want you to remember this morning, we have covenants and we have made promises before a mighty God who is much bigger and much greater than we ever give him credit for. And it's just worth kind of noting that in the back of our mind because that's how Ezra starts. He says, have you not remembered how awesome our God is? Because of this, we covenant. Because God is awesome, we covenant. That's the primary reason we've done it this morning, because God is awesome. We do it. Verse 7 and 8. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And just, I've got to do a bit of backstory on all of these in case nobody ever has read Genesis or you don't know these stories. We can't just presume that everybody knows who Abram is. But he's just a guy. He's just a bloke like me in the middle of nowhere, looking after his sheep, doing his... Not that I'm a shepherd, just... I don't do that. I don't really like sheep. They're a bit scary. Oh, I'm scared of everything. Moths, yeah, mainly. <laughs> oh, dear. I've got to compose myself now. I'm just thinking of moths. Uh, Abraham is taken out of his kind of place, and he, God just calls him and says, follow me. And you know what? Abram does it. He, he, he starts, and, he, and the promise from God is this, that he will become a great nation, that as Abram looks up at the stars in the sky that his descendants would uh, be more numerous than the stars in the sky, that we know the sand on the, on the seashore, that his, his, his descendants would be more numerous than the, the sand, that those that bless him would be blessed, that those that curse him would be cursed. And there's a promise that he says, I'll be your God if you'll be my people. And that's what he says to Abram. And again, I want this to kind of seem as a covenant, a comfort for us this morning. You think, well, what has Abram got to do with anything for us in Redeemer King in 2015? But just as God called Abram, he calls you and me. At one time, we were kind of strangers just wandering about. We might feel like that this morning. We might not know Jesus as our savior. Well, maybe we're just wandering aimlessly in life, a little bit like Abram was. And you know what? Abram was a nobody. And because he met God, he became a somebody. You know, we're all nobodies. But if we trust in Jesus, we can become somebody because we become the children of God. We have purpose in life. We have meaning. We have hope. We have a future. We have joy. 
all these things that are promised in scripture. That's another great reason to covenant together before God, isn't it? That we once were nobodies, but God has caused us to be somebodies and caused us to follow after him. Verse nine and 10, Ezra goes on, and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. It's like a Bible lesson, this. And heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. It's that question, isn't it? Well, how does God make me a somebody if I'm a nobody? What does God have to do? And he has to give us a new life. He has to rescue us. And that's what Ezra is talking about here. He brings us into new life. He rescues us. And that's what happens at the Red Sea. You've got uh, God's people trapped on one side. Behind them is the hordes of Egyptian chariots. And in front of them is a sea. All that awaits them is death, whether it's death by chariot or death by drowning. And yet God makes a way for them, doesn't he? He parts a sea, which is just remarkable, really. And he delivers the people. It's a metaphor, as well as it physically really happening, of people transferring from death into life. And it's important here that Ezra says as well that uh, signs and wonders were performed against Pharaoh. That our God actually today, it's worth noting, isn't it, that our God is a God who performs signs and wonders today. People healed, people delivered, people saved. Again, if we're sick or we're caught in sin or we feel trapped in life by anxiety or depression or worry or pain, I think we can pray and ask for the power of God to come and transform those situations. That if we're struggling in life, if we're low in life, that the Holy Spirit can come in and actually completely transform us by his grace. That no person, no situation, no sickness is irredeemable by the grace of God. We can't write off towns, we can't write off people groups, we can't write off our, our friends and our neighbours who seem so far from Jesus. No person is beyond grace. No mountain is too great. No sea is not crossable if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And that's what they did. They passed from death to life. And that's another reason, again, that we covenant is that God's done an amazing work in our hearts. And it's a response this morning. Not only is he the creator, not only does he do awesome things for us, not only does he call us, but he saves us. He rescues us and gives us new life. And there's more reason here as well is that he guides us. Once he's saved you, he's not just going to abandon you and leave you. This is what he says in verse 12. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and a pillar of fire in night. Here's a little question for you. Have you ever met anyone who says, well, if God just turned up, if God just showed me in a real way right now, if he was right there physically in front of me, then I would follow him and change the way I live my life. Has anyone ever had that? I'm pretty, it seems to be kind of the go-to response for most people. Oh, well, yeah, it's all right for you. But unless God turns up right now, like a lightning bolt moment from heaven, I'm not going to believe. Do we also know that that kind of argument is complete garbage? We know that, right? Because actually... I mean, the people here, we might say, oh, it's all right for them. They had a pillar of fire and they had a cloud by day. You know, if I had a pillar of fire in my life, leading me to New Bold at church on a Sunday morning, taking me to work, then of course I'm going to follow after God. I'd be stupid not to. But haven't we got so much more than a pillar of fire or a cloud by day? Because we have the Son of God who came and rescued us. 
we have the gospel, which tells us the story of Jesus. And isn't it actually what John says at the end of his gospel? You know, you've got this story of doubting Thomas. And then he says, well, actually, blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. Blessed are those who are to come, who will have my word, who will have my spirit. But they won't have seen Jesus in the flesh. I wasn't in Israel 2,000 years ago. I wasn't in the Holy Land. But we have God, the Holy Spirit within us as well, guiding us, leading us in ways that please God. You know, that's better than a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, isn't it? God within us. Not just God in front of us, God within us. And so next time someone says, you know, oh, if God turned up, the answer is he already has. Some 2,000 years ago. If only we would open our eyes and believe. Verse 13, you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and of them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And Ezra rightly points out to us, to the people in his prayer, that God has spoken. That God has clearly given a right way for us to live and therefore a wrong way for us to live. It's not true that we can just live however we want to and it'll be all right on the night. That's a lie of the devil. We, God has clearly spoken. And you know, it's not a coincidence, I don't think, that when we genuinely follow and are living in obedience to God and loving him uh, in the kind of vertical, that actually our relationships in the horizontal are sometimes much more smooth. That when we're loving God, when we're blessing him, when we're being encouraged and we're following after him, we're genuinely loving God, then we'll genuinely love one another. Just as we'll realize that God has genuinely uh, poured out his mercy upon us and his grace upon us, has given us new life, we are then more merciful and more forgiving of others in the way that we lead our life. Sometimes that's hard work, isn't it? Forgiving people. But we have to have that in the back of the mind that God has forgiven us, so we should forgive others. And we do that. I think it pleases God when God's people are honoring him, keeping his word, spending time with him. We, I mean, we have the Old and the New Testament. We have the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God. You know, the Bible often, people say it's a rule book. It's not a rule book. It's a book about Jesus. That's what your Bible is. Don't think it's a rule book of, oh, this is so lame. Leviticus again with the lepers and their spots. It's all about Jesus. In some way or another, it's all pointing towards the one who comes and rescues us. And that's why we get stuck with it, actually, and we find it difficult because we read it in a kind of legalistic rule book kind of way. But if we read it as this is the story of a God who loves us, a story of a God who wants to save us and give his son for us, it brings new light to old pages. And uh, God has spoken, and that's why we preach, that's why we we have the signs and wonders there, so we want to, um, as a church, we want to pray for people because we believe that God heals the sick today. We believe that people that are caught in addiction can be set free. But also, Ezra includes here that the people are to follow the right rules and the true laws. That's why we'll preach the gospel. That's why we'll preach from scripture. There's no use me or Carl or whoever's speaking at the front just saying, well, I think this says this, or I think this, or you think that. Well, actually, no, let's just see what God has to say. Otherwise, it's just all a bit hopeless for us, really. Verse 15 says this, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And to summarize what that means is that God satisfied the people. The people who were following after him, the people that needed him, he satisfied them. Not just by guiding them, not just by giving them his word, not just by giving them his spirit, 
but by physically providing for the whole person. Their physical needs were met as well as their spiritual and emotional needs. And so often as churches and people, we compartmentalize, don't we? Oh, well, we'll just care about them spiritually. No, we should care about people physically. We should feed people. We should clothe people. We should give to the poor. We should care for people's emotional health. We should care for people's physical health. We should exercise. We should eat well. That's what being a family is about. And God is concerned with the whole being. He gives them bread. He gives them water when they're wanderingly, wandering aimlessly in the desert. Even in our wilderness experiences, when we feel far from God, when we don't feel like there's anything that satisfies, when we are looking for provision, God does not forsake his people. I think when God feels distant, a lot of the time it's more to do with us than it is with God. It's more to do with, well, where am I at in my relationship with God? Have I been investing in spending time with him? Or have I just been wandering aimlessly in the desert? Are there sinful patterns of behavior in my life? Am I living in rebellion to him? Is it any wonder that he feels distant and far off? Are we rejecting him by the way that we're living? But God sustains his people and that's the beauty of this that even when we do make mistakes, even when we are caught in these sinful patterns, if we would just repent and come home, it's that picture of the prodigal son again, isn't it? That the father runs out to meet us. No amount of Xboxes, fast cars, holidays, houses will compensate. If we have Christ, we honestly lack nothing. As good as having an Xbox and a nice car and nice holiday homes is, ultimately, it's not going to be there for all eternity, is it? But Christ will be. If we have Jesus, we lack nothing. So Ezra prays all these things. And then they covenant. He says, God is this, God is that. But I want you to see something just quickly, just before I finish. Verse 16, and uh, it says, they acted presumptuously and did not obey. Verse 18, they made a household God for themselves. Verse 26, again, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, casting your law behind your backs. Verse 29, yet the people acted presumptuously and they did not obey your commandments. Ezra has just gone through all these awesome things, hasn't he? God is creator. God gave his word. God gave his spirit. God rescued you. And yet the people are larking about. <laughs> the people are in rebellion. The people have messed up time and time again. That's the theme. God is good. Man messes up. Man gets it wrong. Despite God's faithfulness. Despite the fact that God always keeps his covenant promises. God will not let us down. God will not change. And if you read the detail in Ezra's prayer, the people of God at times end up exiled. They end up in the wilderness. They end up under enemy occupation. And what happens? The light bulb comes on and they go, oh, I know why this has happened. Because we've been apart from God again. I know why this has happened. Because we're in rebellion to him. He's not blessing us because we're not blessing him. And then comes 938. Because of God, basically Ezra says, because of all this, but you can summarize it as this, because of God, we covenant. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, we promise together to do X and Y. And yes, there's sorrow and there's grieving for sin. 
but as well there's a renewal of joy actually that they can be with God forever and then there's the words of Jesus himself in Luke 22 he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood You see, it's a covenant between God and man that changes everything. God promises that Jesus' sacrifice upon a cross for sin is enough. That's a covenant promise. He promises that what Jesus has done will earn us everlasting life if we trust in him. We exist here as a church. You exist as a Christian because of a covenant. You exist because of God's faithfulness towards you. Because God makes promises and God keeps them. And God wants us this morning to be a rescue people. He wants us to be a guided people. A people that are provided for. A people of God's word. A people of God's spirit. A people of faith. And that's all possible if you read through as It's all possible because of God's grace. It's all possible because of God. That we can be rescued, that we can be guided, that we can be loved, that we can be full of faith, full of the spirit, full of the word. Ultimately in giving us Jesus so that we can enjoy him forever. You know, so I don't want you to think that what we've said doesn't matter this morning because it does. It's not being aimless. We're not just expressing wishful thinking in what we've done this morning. Actually by covenanting we're trusting in God. We're trusting in who he says he is and what he's done for us.